0: Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin-Kirai. Ever since the September 11th, 2001 attacks on American soil, there has been a cottage industry that is either devoted to outrage against those evildoers who attacked us or else championing the cause of our military that is going to fight against them. Some of this material is very jingoistic and entertaining because it involves heavy machinery, lots of explosions, and virile young people doing the good work of patriots. But some of this work is devoted to creating a more complex portrait of what the American condition has been since late 2001, when our country was forced to reevaluate the place of this country in the wider world and do something in response to the terrible day, September eleventh, two 2001. One of those responses is Fahrenheit 9-11, Michael Moore's documentary from 2004, in which he chooses to shift backwards and forwards in time between truly long-ago moments from decades past that set up the roiling power of the Bush administration from the election of 2000 Up through 2001, the attacks of 9-11, through the subsequent action of the invasion of Afghanistan and of Iraq, finally to deliver the punchline of Michael Moore's overall point of view. George Bush is not a good president. George Bush is corrupt. And the corruption of George Bush's presidency led this country, in a moment of fragility post-9-11, into terrible behaviors that we never should have allowed ourselves to participate in. Like you, I practice selective memory. Experiences I've had long ago do not always paint a very complete picture of what I once experienced because I have selective memory. And so it goes with the movie Fahrenheit 9-11. I can remember the early parts of 2004 when Fahrenheit 9-11 was beginning to become this cause— Michael Moore traveled the country, visited many colleges, gave many speeches, partly to promote this movie, Fahrenheit 9-11, and partly to grind the axe he felt against the then incumbent president, with the hope of tipping the scale of popular sentiment away from George Bush and causing the other guy, John Kerry, to be elected instead. Ultimately, in the fall of 2004, this did not work out, Following a very successful debut at the Cannes Film Festival in May, this documentary, made for perhaps $6 million, became a blockbuster in North America, earning nearly $120 million and more than $100 million more in international markets. Put a hold on that idea and that set of facts and just recognize, most mass entertainment is meant to be fictional, fantastic, and pure escapism this movie, Fahrenheit 9-11, is none of those things. It is in every way attached to reality as expressed through the point of view of Michael Moore, who again detested George Bush and didn't want him re-elected. And at the same time, he's trying to trace the way that the Bush administration used the 9-11 attacks to reorganize the American experience in a direction that this filmmaker, Michael Moore, thinks was absolutely terrible. At this hour... American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. On my orders, coalition forces have begun striking selected targets of military importance to undermine Saddam Hussein's ability to wage war. Michael Moore is a pretty compelling guy, at least to those who can tolerate his point of view. Part of what makes him tolerable is he twists the rules of old-fashioned documentary, which is objective in the sense that it is what Michael Moore believes to be true based on the evidence that Michael Moore wishes to consider and have us consider, too, as a consequence of watching this movie. Which means Fahrenheit 9-11 uses a lot of intertextuality. In one very pointed example, he uses the opening credit sequence of Bonanza and then superimposes various heads of Bush-era administrators over the Cartwright family. He also uses the Magnificent Seven theme in the background to drum up the idea that truly we're looking at the adventure called Afghanistan. For somebody who doesn't have an awareness of those reference points, it's still funny. Also, he does a good job of interviewing various people or using found footage, and that's the part that's particularly damning and helps support the claim that he makes. George Bush is an unfit president, that the war in Iraq was unfounded, unnecessary, and a crime, and that the war in Afghanistan was prosecuted badly. What we watch over and over again is central political figures of our national government doing things on camera or preparing to be on camera where their guard is down or else they're saying really awful things. We see this a lot in the world of streaming media and social media today because it's very easy to take the worst thing somebody has ever said in a five-second clip and replay it over and over again so they become a cartoon magnification of something you never intended. Michael Moore practices that, but here's something else. He has the screen go completely to black, and we listen to audio records of the September 11th attack... We also become embedded with troopers in Afghanistan in in Iraq, talking about what it is they do as troopers in a war zone. We see them interviewed after they've been on maneuvers. We see the results of some of those more dramatic pieces of contact where they take fire or give fire, where there is death expressed. Now here's the thing, selective memory. When I remember this movie and consider what it's about, what I mostly remember is Moore's takedown of George Bush. When I rewatch this movie, it's actually a very difficult depiction of Warcraft because of President Bush, which means he was an unfit president to Michael Moore. How is this done? Well, on screen, we see dead children. We see maimed and injured people, soldiers and civilians alike. We watch survivors of those who have been killed mourn their loved ones, cry out, why did this happen? And this is very startling, because it works against some of the charm and genuine humor that is exhibited elsewhere in the piece. Selective memory. I'd forgotten that part of what makes this movie so powerful is when, towards the latter portion of the movie, perhaps the last third, Michael Moore's spinning wheels that don't really focus on any one thing very consistently finally land on what I think would be called his protagonist. This is a woman named Lila Lipscomb, who lives in Michigan, who lost a son in the wars that the Bush administration led the United States into. You consider yourself a proud American? Absolutely. I'm extremely proud American. I think I'm probably... More proud than the average Joe. When I put my flag out, I can't allow it to touch the ground because I know the lives that were lost and the blood that was shed so that I could be here and have a flag. All right, how often do you put the flag out? Every single day. Uh-huh. Every single day. I started when my daughter was in Desert Storm. I had the same flag flying on my front porch and the same yellow ribbons. Praying and hoping every single day that my child would come home safe and that everybody's child would come home safe. And she did. And she did. You have other family members that have been in the military? Absolutely. Uncles, aunts, cousins, brothers, father. A very strong military. Very strong. My family was my family is what I consider part of the backbone of America. Michael Moore has frustrated people ever since he emerged as a documentarian in the 1980s with his documentary Roger and Me because he is the centerpiece of all of his movies. You don't get to escape the shape of his body. He's an obese, white male with a beard, always wearing denim, some long-sleeved shirts or jackets, and a ball cap. He grinds at a point of view that seems at odds with what he physically looks like. In other words, he is a progressive, if not indeed a very left liberal, who is seemingly somebody of the hardcore of the Midwest, a white dude from a Rust Belt city, in his case Flint, Michigan, who should be upholding a kind of conservative value for what America once was to ensure that what America will be will be based on that foundation. The fact is... He works against your expectations, and he does so very often by using the footage that other people have shot that some of the people he's taking down have volunteered to participate in and makes real mockery of them. As one example from Fahrenheit 9-11, towards the very end of the movie, he begins walking through the streets of Washington, D.C. after we've been told through his voiceover that almost no member of Congress has a child serving in the war effort. And he simply begins ambushing congressmen and women on the street, asking, would you please take this recruitment material to your children and have them enlist? We could use their help. This is a stunt, and clearly it's meant to inflame your feelings about these powerful lawmakers who are nonetheless insulated from doing some of the hard work of being an American, the kind of hard work that Lila Lipscomb's family has been doing for generations, including her son who was killed. This means that Michael Moore is a clown. He's a clown with a point of view, but that point of view, if you agree with it, has very convincing evidence because of how he marshals the overall scope of this very experimental and strange nonfiction work. At nearly the end of the movie, he delivers a very specific voiceover that does indeed explain why it is he's outraged the way that he is, Why it is he marshaled his resources to make this movie, and why it is you and I should care when we watch it. I've always been amazed that the very people forced to live in the worst parts of town, go to the worst schools, and who have it the hardest, are always the first to step up to defend that very system. They serve so that we don't have to. They offer to give up their lives so that we can be free. It is, remarkably, their gift to us. And all they ask for in return is that we never send them into harm's way unless it's absolutely necessary. Thank you for listening to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. My name is Garrett Chaffin-Kirai. Boop-boopity-doo!